This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Patrick Coyne, John Riley, and James Baker. It was recorded at Punch Buggy Brewing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Punch Buggy Brewing and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Punch Buggy Brewing Company. He's Patrick Coyne. He's John Riley. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and we're going to talk things beer, all things beer today, and I'm grateful that you guys are on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Can't wait to get into this. Talk about how you started and through COVID and talk about your beer. So that brings it up. How did all this get started for you guys? John, you want to start it off? Yeah, so, well, so for me, um, I started to get really interested in craft uh, craft beer and craft brewing. Um at a an event that was held in the city every year at a place called Nodding Head Brewery. Okay. Which it was used to be on Sands. The now defunct Nodding Head yeah. Brewery. Yes. Rest in peace, Nodding Head, yeah. But it's uh, a brewery that for me kind of started things off because a friend of mine always went to this uh, event called the Royal Stumble. Um, he went to this every year, um, my friend Jason, and he said, Hey, you know, you gotta check out this Royal Stumble. It's like a really cool event that they have every July at Nodding Head and it's all these different breweries and they're all trying to kick their keg first. That's the idea of the Royal Stumble is that you have all these great beer makers that are local and they were all brewing this beer and this I think this probably started back in the nineties, although I was there, you know, during the two thousands. Um, and it was just a place where the beer was just everywhere. So you brought people in? I mean, they, they, they invited just the masses? No, no. It was one of those things where you had to buy a ticket. So. Right. So you bought a ticket, yeah. and then you just kept going back to that same brewery? That- um, no, it was something where they actually had people circulating the crowd with um, pitchers. And you would have a five-ounce glass or an eight-ounce glass. Um, yeah. But the, the idea was that you could choose what you were going to drink, but it was almost like you were constantly being buffeted with, would you like to try this? Would you like to try that? And it's just the, the breweries all had um, extra people there to try and get these pitchers sold quickly so that they could just keep the tap flowing. So it wasn't – there weren't lines. It was something where everybody was sort of all over the place just talking and enjoying different kinds of beer. And, you know, it was something where it was like – just choosing yes or no constantly because people would come up and say, oh, do you want this from, you know, do you want this barrel-aged beer from Troves? Yes, I'd like to try that. And then you try that and then they say, oh, do you want this beer from Weyerbacher? Some of the heavy hitters that were there, you know, you had Weyerbacher, Troves, 
dogfish head. Um, you well, know, you have to remember who was established right. back in the 1990s and early 2000s. What was it for you that now said, hey, I want to start to brew my own beer? Yeah, well, um, I, I think after that event, I went to that event a number of years, and um, that caused me to then say, you know, maybe I could do something like this. You know, got my first kit and started brewing beer, um, you know, in the 2000s. I want to say maybe 2006, 2007. Do you remember what your uh, first brew was and what your, where you got your kit from? It was uh, it was like an IPA kit. It came in like a cylinder. Um, I don't remember exactly what the brand was or anything. It was one of these, like, it's all right in there. And I made it, and it, I wasn't particularly impressed with it. It was kind of, it was, it was pretty bitter. Um, the first kit that I can remember... Where I really got into it was a 60-minute clone. That dogfish had 60-minute clone um, where it was just like throwing in hops every five minutes in the boil. And you end up with this, you know, pungent, uh, really bitter um, ale that was, you know, it was good. But it was like one of those things where starting to do that and then I'd have people over. I loved Brayton Bed at the time, the show Brayton oh, yeah. Bed. So I'd have people over and we'd be drinking it and watching Breaking Bad on, uh, you know, on Netflix or whatever and talking about like, oh man, this is a crazy show about like, you know, cooking something and, and we're sampling this thing that I cooked. Basically, it was kind of like the idea of having this this thing where it's like a whole process to make it. And that's, you know, it was like that with Breaking Bad with this, uh, you know, stuff that they were making, uh, you know crystal meth or whatever but then <laughs> well I'm, me, I'm glad you that. went the brewery route John and not the meth because yeah. meth <laughs> yeah. it sounds like life could have gone a lot of different ways for you at the time yeah, it didn't go that well for Walter yeah White, so. right I, I mean, it, you know, had you not really done well home brewing, yeah. that meth option might have always been there for you <laughs> right you got the equipment yeah, yeah. now I, so like a lot of home brewers, I mean, you literally did your first one, didn't really have a good sense of what you were doing, stumbled through it, made your first one, wasn't impressed with it. What was it, though, that kept you going? That you decided, yeah, I'm going to keep trying this. Because, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of people that buy a kit, make it, and go, well, number one, this is somewhat labor-intensive. i got to invest a little bit into this. And once I'm done, I don't want to drink this. Yeah, I, I can't even give this to the dog because it's not <laughs> supposed to be drinking beer. Like brewing together probably yeah. was the thing that really started getting... Me and you both into it. So you, yeah. you then came on the scene and you, you were now brewing together. So I, yeah, so I mean, we cook, we both, uh, you know, before we were actually brewing and then during brewing, like, you know, I had a similar thing, you know, I went up to Wilkes-Barre for my 25th birthday uh, and they had like a little beer fest up there. I think it was like 30 breweries, you know, sampled all the beers and everything like that. And I was like, you know what, I can do something like this. And uh, beer fests were kind of like a new thing at that point. So um, I came down Northeast Philly didn't have anything like that so I started a, a beer festival um, and uh, you know we that's a pretty big undertaking to say hey I'm just gonna start a beer festival yeah yeah it was a little bit crazy but I went went up to him and I was like you know I had I'm a, I'm a web designer by trade and I told the guy I was like I'll do all the advertising for everything um, if you let me do the beer fest here um, you know, we worked out a little contract and everything like that. But um, this was at Constatters. Yeah, it was at Constatters up in Northeast Philly, which so is a good a anchor huge, spot anyway, because yeah. you know you have the members. They've got a great environment for that. It's all fenced in. You've got exactly. yeah. plenty of parking, so it's perfect and, yeah. environment. Yeah. So I went to him with the idea. He loved it. He said he had been trying to do it for years, and he was just kind of waiting for somebody to approach him. So uh, we ran with the idea, and we had thirty 
breweries there the first year, which wasn't enough at all. Uh, so we ran out of beer within like two hours of a four-hour beer fest, and people were pissed. So <laughs> we spent nine years after that trying to make up for it, and you know, the next year we had eighty. So it was too much beer. So we found. Um, you know, a nice little... Better to have more beer than yeah. you need. Oh, yeah. You know, you pay a ticket and you're out of beer in a couple hours. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you think about Beer Fest. Oh, you yeah. say, you know what? That line's long. I'll circle back around. I hit some of these other places. And then you show up and say, oh, we're out of beer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we figured out the formula over that 10-year period. But um, I would say like five years in, I you know, I knew all the breweries. I knew everybody. And uh, I was just kind of like, you know, I could do this. Why, you know... Why be on the outside looking in? So uh, we started brewing our own beer, giving it out for free at these beer fests. Uh, Is that where you? That's you, where you, we started. That's where you and John we met. Were both brewing. Okay, uh, we were friends in high school. Yeah. Where'd you go to high school? Archbishop Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the priests and the nuns really, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 yeah. oh, I mean, look, yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. you know, home brewing. I mean, isn't that what they did? In a way, I don't know if these guys did. No, but, not yeah. those guys. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so my first beer was uh, a blueberry wheat, and it turned out pretty good. And I was like, oh, this is easy. You know? <laughs> right. It was like an extract beer, and, everything. you know, I didn't really know everything that was involved. Just kind of followed a kit like John did. And then my second beer was an IPA, and it was terrible. So it tasted like, I don't know, like uh, dishwater or something. But, yeah, so it was all oxidized and absolutely terrible. But anyway, so, you know, I continued on with it. John... Um, you know, I, I don't know. We were yeah. at, I approached him at my brother's bachelor party, and I said, right. "Yeah, I said, hey man, I'm I'm ready to take the next step." I said, "I know that you were interested in doing that too." He, I knew he was already kind of in the process of getting the trademark um, for Punch Buggy Brewing Company, um, and I said, "You know, I'm ready to do this if, if you're still interested in doing it." He said, "Yeah." We brewed together a couple times, and we started looking for uh, locations. Yeah, I was out at a farm at that point in Perkasy, and then you know we were we were knocking beers out there. And um, uh, what, what kind of beer did you you were up in? Uh, so, so John yeah, works for Amtrak, so he was yeah. taking the train up to Massachusetts and bringing back Treehouse. these great beers yeah. while we we're trying to you know. I, I brought back Julius and yeah. Hayes from Treehouse, and they're like a you know Treehouse. If you're familiar, is like this mecca for like the New England IPA style. It's basically one of the first majorly successful New England IPA producers in the country. And they're just, they're known, I'd say, you know, the world over for their New England IPA style that basically was birthed between them and the alchemist. I mean, it sounds really great because you've got some different influences that you're now drawing from, not in your local scene. So you're really getting a sense of what road you want to go down and I guess the identity of the brewery you want to be, right? Because you're also pulling from, like you said, you're, you're pulling from areas that maybe Philadelphia or the community hasn't really had yet unless they go up to the Massachusetts area. Yeah. Right. And that style was pretty new at that time. Yeah, so absolutely. When IPA and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I waited in line for a couple of hours even once I got up there because <laughs> that's what they did. Like, they, they weren't... Um, distributing it at all it was if you want to get this beer you have to come to the brewery and I'm standing in this line going this is crazy and it took like a couple of hours before we cycled through the line to finally get the beer and you get a couple of four packs and you're like I don't know if a, a trip you know a five hour train trip each way <laughs> to get this beer it seemed like a lot but then I had the beer I was like this is really good beer we had some on the farm 
Yeah. Talked so, about how good it was. So then after, yeah, I don't know, we brewed for maybe a year, year and a half, and then we were like, all right, let's start looking for a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I did my rounds at the time and uh, found this little spot, and um, which is owned by a guy who owns Pete's Place up the street. And I went to him like three times, and I said, you know, can you rent this to us? Can you rent this to us? And then he, on the third time, he was just like, all right, you know what? Let's sign a little contract, see how it goes for a year. What was I, I got a, a whole bunch of questions going through my mind right now. But what was I guess for him? What was his hesitation? Because really, this spot is it's it's it's, it's obviously a commercial, more of a garage warehouse kind of spot. Yeah. But unless you're going to find somebody in this area that wants to fix cars yeah. or, I guess, do some in- light industrial work out of here, so you're, you're a, not going to find a tenant. Yeah, it was a complete shell at the time. And um, there was just a, a guy here before us that was selling washers and dryers out of here. Yeah, um, in the 90s, really. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like a, a lag. But I think um, specifically something that he was hesitant about was which way is it going to go? Because I think he also got some offers for people to buy the place. Yeah. Then they just wanted to expand it. it. Yeah, Yeah. he didn't want to sell it. Um, And I think that he was looking at it like, you know, there are some challenges to renting to different people as far as like, do you trust this person? Are they going to run out on you? Are they going to, you know, burn the property to the ground? Whatever. I mean, people have different reasons why they... They hesitate on it. We don't really know. We're yeah. not inside his head. But so we, yeah. So we looked at a few spots, took some, and then this spot was, you know, this neighborhood was. Now, what year are we talking about? Up, uh, so what are we? 2019. So 2016. 2016. So three years uh, putting this thing, this thing together, this this building together. So you're still on the cusp. I mean, you're you, the area really hasn't fully turned over the way it is today. Right. And you're not almost. Wrong. You're almost. You have the foresight. To see what is going to happen here. Well, yeah, some of that's luck, but yeah, we yeah. took we took a guess, and uh, yeah, I mean, you can see, I mean, there's there's construction yeah, construction everywhere. going everywhere, right? And um, you know, there's a distillery right across the street. There's a cidery uh, a block away from us. So I mean, it's it's becoming a little destination for people to come and, and walk around. And actually, another interesting thing was when we started this, one of the things that we looked at said this is the perfect location was this next door to us was this running vibrant homebrew supply shop called Philly homebrew. And it's literally, you know, right next door, 1447 or 1445. They're on the corner. And we're saying we're already coming here to get supplies, to get, you know, to talk to people about, Hey, what did you do with this beer? What did you do with that beer? And we said, well, this is, you know, a big plus. We start the lease, and I think within a year, year and a half, they was, were like, "It was the week before right, we we're going to close, yeah. close the spot." The, the week before we opened, they yeah. they shut it down and moved to West Philly. Yeah, so now they're in West Philly, and they always they have a location over in uh, Jersey too. But they actually do um, tap installations and everything too. So they set up all of our taps, and I mean, we made some good connections with people so they were really supposed to be next door for as long as they were supposed to be next door to facilitate your opening and then it was time for them to leave yeah I mean maybe I guess that's that's a good way to look at it yeah it was serendipitous that they were there yes but life life was supposed to have them find a new location yes I guess so but but now you've got this coffee shop next door right and again as we were talking pre the, the podcast 
you know, starting, you know, you really talk about how this becomes now a vibrant neighborhood with a lot to do. I mean, you touched on the fact that, yes, you've got a cidery across the street and, and distillery. I mean, there are a number of them not too far, even from here, right. a number of other breweries. It, you know, this becomes, you could spend a day in the Fishtown, Northern Liberties area, up yeah. to Old Kensington in that area. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and you could really enjoy a lot of different beer, a lot yeah. of different vibes, um, a lot of different experiences. You could spend more than a day. You could spend, well, I, I, oh, yeah. you know, we're not talking like, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, but we got to get some hotels set up here too That's in this right. area. That's right. Maybe yeah, some, yeah. maybe some uh, Airbnbs and things like that. But yep. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe that's what happens. Your next building, you know, you put some rooms up on the next floor. Yeah, <laughs> rent yeah. them out. Yeah, you know, <laughs> by the day, not the hour. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. You sell a few more beers before that happens. <laughs> yeah. So punch buggy. Talk about like punch buggy. I mean, how'd that come about? So why? Uh, yeah, I mean, all through college, my dad gave me his old 71 Super Beetle. So uh, Color? Orange. Okay. Yeah. Well, Clementine. It was Clementine. <laughs> so I uh, I took it up to college with me. Uh, it lasted about a year and a half up there, but it sounded like a jet engine. So every time I drove it through campus, everybody knew I was coming. So Patrick's coming through. Kind of be, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they... <laughs> You know, I guess I became known for the for the punch buggy, and it was just kind of I don't I don't know how it actually happened, but it just. But, you, but how did that become your logo you know? for your brewery, though? I don't know. I drew it up. I mean, I was a graphic designer, and I was just kind of drawing some ideas and stuff, and uh, that that one kind of stuck. So I mean, the the logo right above your head was the one that kind of stuck. So I did four of them. Uh, you know, with the hops, barley, water, and yeast, and then uh, the hop one, everybody kind of liked and, and stuck on. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have we have six owners, and we all everybody's like, yeah, that was pretty good. So we just kind of ran with that, and you know, it's evolved over the time. But yeah, uh, I, look, I think when you talk about it, and you sit down, and certainly the beer is the vehicle. That's your that's your brand, right? But when you start to think about the story behind your brand yeah. and how people reflect or how you become known or how you get remembered, I mean, there are a, lot, a lot goes into picking a name. It's almost like, you know, you pick your own, if you have, if you have a kid, yeah. it's so important you pick that first name. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, then what happens? Oh, you don't look like a John. You don't look like a Patrick. You know, you don't look like a Rich. I don't yeah. know. Or you just start to look like that. And you resemble that. So I think that for, as people start to think punch buggy, right. they understand and, and understand the brewery and what's behind it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think in some ways, though, punch buggy, right, is one of those, it's, it's like just a real, it's iconic, but it's, and it's something that a lot of people will know about. But it also is a real quick reaction kind of thing. You're driving on the road. You know, you've got your brother or sister next to you. You're in the back seat with the parents or whatever. And then you see the car and you go punch buggy and it's real quick and it's just a game where you just bam it's it's fun so is right? this something we're actually supposed to be doing in the brewery every time somebody orders well, a beer you punch them in the yeah, arm but i think that the idea is it's like it it's a it's something that for us was just a real quick let's name it punch buggy but okay. then at the same time it's it kind of resembles this bygone era where you know things you know in some ways were just a little bit more laid back and you know, it was more like about art and about, you know, just the the 60s. You yeah. know, it's kind of got that throwback feel to it. 70s. It was the 70s. 60s, 70s. <laughs> well, it was a 71 Beetle, but at the same time. I see where you're going. Yeah, it's, it's this whole, like, hearkening back to, you know, in the, in the distant past, there were a lot of home brewers in the United States. And then 
that um, all kind of fell away at a certain point during, like, you know, the Depression. And prohibition kind of put a, put a big yeah, hit on that, too. Yeah, yeah. On that. yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could brew it at home. You just couldn't sell it. Yes. But what happened is you saw the depletion of, you know, grains for people to actually homebrew anyway. Mm. So that, that, that kind of put, put the damper on that, too. Right. What for you? I mean, you're talking, you're doing some home brewing, you're working this out, you pick the spot, you have a sense of where you're going. But what was that aha moment for the both of you that you knew you were on to something? We had uh, so we had this place rented. Um, I don't know. There's a few aha moments all the way across. Okay. Um, and uh, there's like a lot of like oh crap moments too, where it's like. Oh my God! What are we gonna do? Like, there's more of those moments than there are like aha moments. Because I was trying to think of this answer to this question when you were when you when you posted it, but uh, there's definitely more oh crap moments than there are aha. All right, moments. but you but still aha, but you still say, had to be on the you, you still had to feel like you're on the right track to something, yeah. right? Where you guys looked at each other and said, "All right, we've got something good here." Yeah. So we had a couple beers, and we had all six of the owners in one room. And these guys had all bought in after they had tried our beer. So we had like we had a couple we had like two big parties here before we were actually open. We were just giving out free beer to people. My brother was in a band, so we just had music playing and uh, place was packed. People were liking it and right away they were like, How do we invest? And we were like, ah, like You hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Right? And so these people were just willing to you know, jump right into the business and and help fund everything. And then um, we had a business meeting, and I brought the beer, and you know they were just like, "Oh, this beer's even better than the last beers." Um, you know, um, and then I brewed beer for my wedding, um, and then one of the other partners' weddings, and then my brother's wedding, and then everybody. You know, it just kind of was rolling from there. The beer was getting better. The equipment was getting better. We were, you know, we were investing time, money, and then, you know, things started to fall into place. We had to start making decisions, so um, that's where it started to go from there. But For, I think that there was also, there was a time when we were down here, the real early days, we had a, it was a one keg, a half barrel system, and we're brewing on this half barrel system down here in yeah, a completely, completely different kind of building that you're sitting in now. It's just a shell um, with a lot of, uh, like, there was, where that glass front display case fridge was was my which, which is about 20 feet in from the front door where the right. garage door opens so people can kind of visualize this right. yes and they so this uh, fridge that we have now where we're selling cans out of it we've got a nice beautiful display was a um, a residential fridge that I brought down which was like my secondary beer fridge in my garage and I'm like, well, let's get that in here so we have a place to put, you know, some cold kegs. And it was like nothing was ready. And this was like, it took three years of, you know, building the ceiling, like constructing the ceiling the way we wanted. Because it was kind of like, you know, a little bit damaged or dilapidated or whatever at one point. And there was no walk-in fridge. There was no, you know, restrooms and brewery room, like separate room. And at this time, Pat says to me, are we going to keep going with this? Because we're starting to get into the rent money. We're starting to get into... And I said, yeah. And yeah. he said, all right. So then, you know, we're seeing this through. And it was like, yes, we're going to see this through. And we're just going to sink whatever time and money yeah. and effort we need into it to make it So neither was back thing. down. And right. I'm, 
who knows if that's a good thing or a bad thing at this point. But <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think your story is fascinating. I, I, I think it really is because, you know, for whatever segment is listening to this, that mm-hmm. they're into home brewing or would maybe think to get into home brewing right now or they're home brewing really well and they're getting that recognition that you got yeah. where people are telling them, because this happens, right? Mm. And I'm sure you, you have people come here and say, well, you know, I'm home brewing. Yeah. And they, they want to give you, you know, kind of ideas or, or they want yeah, things like that, which is good, right? Yeah. And they'll but, bring some, like, bottled beer and for us to try. And yeah. They're like, yeah, you know, what do you think about this beer? What, what can we do a little do a little bit differently? And uh, But this sounds like you're telling the story of every spot mm. that, that people find their way to. Yeah. And they either turn around and go back. Yeah. Or, hey... All right. Do you really want to keep going? Should we should we fix the ceiling and start to put in a large walk-in refrigeration box and yeah. expand expand the equipment? Right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we didn't we didn't walk into anything that was already here. There were no bathrooms. There was nothing. And then we were I mean, we were making that decision where there was like, like a shower, which we're like, right, this doesn't. Do we, we had do to rip this. it out? Yeah, nothing was legal, so we had to rip everything from the start to the yeah. finish. All like down so to the studs. Was, Even the floor <laughs> yes. was not. The floor was all kinds of. We had to jackhammer the whole floor yeah. up and redo it. Yeah. And, and these are were these were things you know. Again, you go back to the idea. I just want to brew at home and then start selling it here to the masses. Right now, you got to think. Oh, I got to b- bathrooms and right. licenses and all those other yeah. things, right? I mean, you've got some really nice bathrooms back right. there. Nice yeah. artwork back there. Yeah, but it's hard to say that there's an actual aha moment. I think what we ran into a lot more was a we're never going to quit, and it was more of a mindset than a single. Oh, this isn't. This is something I want to do forever. But it was like every time you brew, you get the smell of the grains, you get the smell of the hops, you get that sensory feeling of I'm putting this thing together that's going to be this delicious beverage that people are going to they're going to want, and I'm going to want because every time we brewed it, you know, it came out a little bit better. It came out, and it always at the beginning it always smells great. The hops never smell bad when you open the bag you know but it's about capturing that and getting that aroma when the glass is finally poured and you have to you know john i love how your face lights up talking i really yeah. do i mean I, I can i can see that and recognize it and you, you said you had this we're not going to quit attitude yeah for the both of you right yeah where did where did that come from for you well so for the it was tough. I mean, it was tough for like that three-year period, and then there was you know the whole first year we couldn't swing a hammer. It was we were waiting on zoning for the city, uh, so we were just brewing. So it was like the whole first year we were just brewing, um, researching here, yeah, researching, yeah, just trying to make the beer as good as it could possibly be. A lot and of late nights where you're on the computer, the saying, next two years, you're typing in. Yeah. How do you make your best stout? How do you make your best cream ale? And you just you're reading whatever you can get your hands on. You're listening to different podcasts. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I was going and I was like, uh, I mean, I did uh, some brews just voluntarily with, uh, you know, with free will. Co- yeah, with free will. Um, I, you know, we, we were doing uh, once we actually got our, our license and everything. We were we were learning from some of the other guys around here. Second story. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been learning a ton from uh, Stable Twelve. Um, so, I mean, just reaching out to these guys, like the, the brewing community is great, like answering questions and letting you come in and letting you take a look. And, and there's a big goodwill factor. In, yeah. In so we're trying to pay it forward too. For anybody that comes in right now, we'll let them brew a beer with us. We'll let them, you know, take a look at our equipment. And, and, we had a guy uh, came in, we were open maybe like three months or something. He comes in, he's checking the place out. He says, you know, I, 
I love brewing. He said, I, I brewed, you know, I got hired to brew with Levante for a little while. And he said, I'm not brewing with them anymore. He's like, but I'd love to get in and brew. And I was like, all right, how's next week? You know, we <laughs> brewed a beer with that guy. Yeah. And it's like, and he had a bunch of like knowledge, but he also knew that Levante was pretty open about sharing knowledge with people. And he'd seen that when he worked there. So he said, you know, they're not going to care if I tell you guys like, you know, maybe this is how they do it. You know, you can take that information and do with it what you will. And I think it, it's one of those things where a lot of people share um, the ideas because it's just, you know, you know that everybody's kind of going through that journey and, and getting that, that product out there. I think for the community, it's an understanding and maybe not talked about understanding, but just this, it's the right thing to do because if, let's say, the, the Philly beer scene. You know, you got South Jersey, you've got the surrounding counties. So you, you look at the region, I mean, even down into Delaware in some some aspects. But if this becomes a really solid beer scene, it becomes, you know, something where people become more, they're going to make it a destination like you talk about. They're, they're going to know that they can get quality beer and not have to seek it elsewhere or not necessarily need to go to um, a store and just pick up beer because they can't find a good beer that's locally crafted. Yeah. And I think that's what it means for what you're doing and what everybody else is doing to collaborate. To say, come on in. Let us teach you. Let us help you. Let us show you. Because if you get better, everybody gets better. Yeah. And we were, um, you know, from from there, yeah, like, I mean, you know, we took it and we built out the space. So, you know, yeah, having the beer in the spot and being able to uh, enjoy yourself and kind of feel like you're not sitting in a garage. So we've been, you know, over the last, we've been open a year and a half. And we're, we've been trying to make this place um, kind of like a whole art piece, like you're kind of sitting in a little little art piece and adding, adding little pieces here and there. So every time you come in, it looks a little bit different and um, you get a little bit of a different experience. Um, and having the, um, the one barrel system, which we are now up to a three barrel, but allows us to like turn over beer. So every time you come in here, you get a different beer and a different experience. Um, now, for people, that, here, here's a question, Patrick. For people who don't know what that means, a one-barrel system, a three-barrel system. So one barrel is two kegs. So okay. Two kegs of beer, yeah. So we were brewing constantly, and that was... Um, you make two kegs of beer, it takes you two weeks to make it, and we're finding that we're, like our, our first weekend open, we're finding that we're kicking you know, six kegs in like the first weekend or seven kegs in the first weekend, and yeah, at that time we didn't even... a beer. yeah. yeah. So we were. Do you know uh, how many we, 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 you know how many breweries that open that we talk to? That happens. To them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this secret: you have enough beer ready to go on your opening weekend because yeah. chances are you may run out. <laughs> yeah. Right away, we were like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, what are we gonna do? We gotta upgrade as soon as possible. Yeah. So um, the three battle right now, I think, is actually perfect. Uh, we have four fermenters right now and then a bright tank, uh, and the the three barrel brewing system, which. We could actually, we could certain beers, we could squeeze three and a half out of there, but, um, you know. Um, three and a half barrels or seven kegs. Yeah. But we we have this, the way our system is now, if we're amped up and, you know, we're cracking it out, makes about, um, say, like 12 kegs a week, because we could do two batches one week and then two batches the next week, and it takes about two weeks for each beer. So you kind of, you're tying up the fermenter for those two weeks, so there's... There's different bottlenecks in the whole process, but and even for you now, you're you're not just selling all your beer out of this one location. 
I mean, and you've got contracts where you're doing work with other bars, and hopefully when more bars open, they'll start, they'll start putting a tap for you in their system. Yeah. So you also have to kind of plan on that and have the foresight to do that as well, right? Yeah. So we use that. We use, yeah, we use that platform as kind of like a marketing um, opportunity to get our beers in other places, different bars, different distributors and bottle shops around uh, the local area around here. Um, just so people say, oh, like, Punch Buggy Brewing Company, where's that yeah, at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, you know, they're like, wait a minute, this is in Philadelphia, we're, you know, right by there. I mean, we don't sell to any places that are, you know, Western PA at this point, because it's like... Not yet. Right, not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, we kind of wanted a lot of people to see us as a local spot, and like to find out that we're, we're so close and so convenient if you're in Philly. Yeah. There's definitely you know, a lot really more to figure out. But we just we just recently gained the uh, the ability to be able to can beer ourselves. So you know now we're able to do that and, and stock the fridge uh, here with different beer than you'd be able to get at the distributor. Now the canning stuff has this come? I mean, let's face it, you're open a year and a half. Yeah. Well, COVID has taken up a year of that. Yeah. So you guys are getting running six months in. It's it's. Yeah. It, you know the whole world changes. Yeah. What? have you learned from that? What experiences have you taken from that? Yeah. And, and where has it made you better right now? Um, well, we were able to, we upgraded that equipment in November, December. Um, so we were able to take our time. Yeah. So we were able to take our time with that, with the new equipment. Um, because obviously we weren't selling beer hand over fist when, you know, there was a, you know, a law that said you couldn't have any indoor dining in the winter. You know, not too many people were coming in to say, hey, I want to stand outside here. Right. It's 20 degrees. Let's all hug the heating, the, the propane, right. you know, heating element, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, during that time, we were able to take, uh, you know, age some stuff in some barrels. We were able to do some stuff that takes uh, a little bit longer um, to, to get, you know, to the tap. So, uh, you know, we were able to play around with some ideas like that. Um now, did, did, did you then buy the canning line to do that yeah. as well? Yep. Yeah, so uh, we were doing some bottling, and then we switched over to some cans, but uh, we were doing online ordering uh, at the time. Uh, yeah, we bought, we bought the fridge, so, you know, you can stop in, grab grab some beer, take it home with you. Um, so any, any, you know, keeps keeps it a little bit more flexible than if you have a beer here. And you like it. you like it, you can take some with, it. with you. Yeah, so we, we try to keep three to four beers, three to four different beers in there um, to take home. Um, but we're still, you know, we're still pretty new to that process, so I'm uh, still figuring that out. Well, you talked about, I, I don't want to let this go, because you said you had more oh crap moments yeah. than you did aha moments, so yeah. why don't you share a few of those if yeah. you like? Absolutely. John, you're ready to jump right in there. I'm ready to jump right in there. So, so like, um, as a, there's some oh crap moments where um, we were looking at, where, say, like, when we opened and we sold through so much of our beer supply right away, we said, what are we going to do? We're, we don't have a big system. We can only make two kegs at a time, and we're almost completely out of beer. And, of course, that, you know, then leads into how can we solve this problem. One of the ways that we did that was we started reaching out to other local breweries and finding people that maybe had a bigger system. Um, You know, Pat had mentioned uh, Second Story Brewing, and when I reached out to them, the brewer and 
Um, he also does a lot of the social media over there. Corey, um, he said to us, yeah, you know, we can brew whatever you guys want to brew. We'll get together and, you know, we'll talk ideas and figure something out. And we ended up brewing. Um, they have a, what is it, like a, is it a seven and a half barrel? What's, you know what their system is? 16 barrels. 16 barrels. So they, so they make 32 kegs at a time. Yeah. So when he does one batch, it's like he's set for a while on that particular beer. Um, we did a collaboration with him um, within you know our first few months of opening, um, and we called it uh, One Two Punch, which is kind of like second story. And I like it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like our flagship for a little while, with that being you know 16 kegs or so, you know, of the One Two Punch. Like we were, we had that every weekend. It was a um, kind of a mix between like a West Coast IPA. It had some. Some of that bitterness that you, you want to get out of the West Coast IPA, but it also had that hazy feel to it too, where like you know it's a little bit softer, um, going down a little bit like smooth from like the oats that we used in it, kind of borrowed from a couple of different ideas that we had, and then ideas that Corey had on what you know maybe he likes some of that bitterness from the West Coast, so we definitely wanted that in there. So the Oakrat moment essentially was just not having enough beer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, were yeah, other there was a bunch of them. So yeah. yeah, we had our Glycol chiller crap out after uh, the first month, and uh, which the Glycol chiller it keeps the beer yeah. cold, keeps so that you know keeps the beer keeps at, it at a certain temperature, yeah. so that when it ferments, you don't end up with this beer that just tastes like really funky because it got really hot because that's what happens. But if you just have the yeast running. Um, and you don't have it strongly temperature controlled, what happens is the beer gets really hot and then the yeast produces all these flavored compounds that you know that you don't want to have it. A lot, of, a lot of brewers. So we had to go and find yeah. a different way to like keep the room at temperature that we wanted um, or, or go in and use a different yeast like a Kvike yeast that uh, allow, allows it to ferment at a really high temperature because this was in the middle of the summer too. So we were fighting, you know, high temperature. This is giving you, but so this is giving like, you all different. Now you've got to kind of think on the run, right? You've, yeah. you've kind of got to be quick, which gives you different experiences to environment, to the workspace you're using, to the products, the ingredients, mm. all those things. So you've really learned a lot yeah. in the in even, even the in year and a half that you've been open. Yeah, sure. yeah, and then you know, open that. Uh, and I think that uh, I mean it, it just adds to making the beer better constantly. Uh, I think every beer that we make is better than the last, so I mean that's that's good. And our untapped ratings are constantly climbing, so I mean that's a testament to you know us taking a step in the right direction. And also, you know, the equipment's better. Uh, we don't have coils anymore. We have jacketed fermenters, so I mean it's easier to clean. Uh, you have you know spray balls and things like that, and you know just everything gets easier and better. Uh, as the equipment get, gets better, so I mean, yeah, because we just constantly reinvest back into every time somebody's buying a pint. There's a certain amount of that that's just going back and making the place better and getting the next, you know, brewing upgrade. Well, before we talk about beer, because we talked about your process of getting here, what goes into like how do you guys work out deciding the names of the beers? How does that work for the both of you? Or is that like bringing in all the partners and your yeah. brewer? How does that work? Sometimes it does. Yeah. So, yeah, it's bringing in – it's usually bringing in all six of us, and then we all have to agree on it. Uh, but usually we land on one where we're like, this guy, right, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, There's somewhere we'll throw something out, and somebody will say, no, that's, 
that doesn't make any sense. Because you got a lot of people deciding the name of something yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at some point we're like, so, you know, sometimes you know it comes up and it, there's not that perfect name for a beer, and we're like, all right, that's good enough. Throw it up there. It's, Friday and we're about to open so you gotta put something up there but um, you know uh, there's some that just fall into place like the very first beer that we actually named was Beetlejuice and we were like oh that's perfect you know yeah I, I would think a lot a lot of that Volkswagen yeah. Beetle all those collaboration ideas for the bug you know right. yeah. yeah and and you know they've all like Stable 12 we did a beer with them it was called Horse and Buggy I mean it kind of fell into place and you know it was yeah, crazy IPA yeah you have ones like that that are real easy they just yeah. makes perfect sense right away yeah um, can design just fell into place we did like a hologram and it was like you know it was a great but um, yeah some of them just fall into place like that and some of them you're like alright guys it's Friday let's throw something up there somebody like somebody, right come now, somebody just yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got the chalk in hand I'm yeah, ready yeah. to go exactly yeah. <laughs> come right up with something clever so Our number six, the uh, Cirrus Citra Hazy IPA. It was like, well, it's, you know, it's a hazy IPA. A lot of times you think cloudy, um, so we went with Cirrus, which is just the name of a cloud, and then Citra because we used the Citra and the hops, and you know, it just kind of made sense. And I mean, we're only we only have like three kegs of that because we did a split batch, half that and half of our last IPA, which was the Elevated, yeah. um, which we came up with because the L is so close by, and we said, you know, we like the, the idea of having, you know, something to tie into the local culture, and the L, like, what gets yeah. more local food. So cool on cans if we do, like, the can art for it, which we will at some point. Um, yeah, with your design, graphic design background, I'm, I'm sure you're yeah. itching, itching to start designing some more can yeah. labels, right? Me and uh, one of our brewers, Matt Rowland, and um, there's actually a local artist here uh, um, that, that, you know, we were working with on some can art, too. He did the American Street Cream Ale. Um, so, uh, yeah, Nate Walker, yes. Yeah, Nate Walker. It's funny how, like, like, again, you go farther into thinking about everything through, about how the can and the art and, and all the process is just beyond just brewing beer beyond just picking up the simple ingredients you've got a lot to think about yeah and we didn't think about any of that <laughs> now it's like you know it's good because everybody's thinking about that stuff and uh, we're backing each other up so if we have six partners some somebody you know is is catching what, what could fall through if it was just me and John so uh, it's definitely helping Sure. Well, let's do this. Let's bring out some beer. Let's talk some beer. Let's get an idea of your vision, what you're putting together, and uh, we'll get a chance to do that. That's good. All right. Now we get to talk beer. And James, you joined us, and you're going to talk about the cream ale that you brewed most recently. But it was really important that we talk about how the Egyptians discovered beer. Yeah, it's very important for me. I think it's a very fun story. Um, so from, you know, down in history, there have been many things that have been discovered by accident, including the Egyptians and discovering beer. At this point in history, some other people had already discovered fermented beverages. But uh, basically what happened was a random Egyptian guy, A, I don't know, King Salman, right, had a, had a, uh, a barrel full of grain and uh, had left it out with no cap on it. It rained. It happened to be a very, very warm day that and day. And you know his wife reminded him four or five times to make sure he capped that battle? Oh, absolutely. And he just, oh, yeah, I'll get I'm, to it. Ah, stop nagging me. I'm right? sure that that happened, and I'm sure he didn't listen. Right. But luckily, luckily, this is one of those cases where it's good that the husband didn't listen to the wife. Right. 
Um, so it it happened. It happened very rare. It happened. To, it happened to rain early early in the morning, and uh, then the pot stayed out in the hot sun where it warmed up. And then it actually rained later in the afternoon. And then around dinner time or so, the husband did remember that wife said to cover it, and he covered it, brought it inside. A couple of days later, it started to smell very weird. Um, and this person just happened to be very adventurous for some reason, and he decided, instead of just throwing it out, you know what, it's got some weird liquid in it, what's the worst that could happen? I'll go ahead and drink it. He drank it, and uh, lo and behold, he discovered beer, because it was, you know, some type of uh, wheat or barley. And he started stumbling around the house. started, started feeling a different feeling he'd never felt before. Well, remember, I mean, you have to think about it. In certain, certain cultures, mm-hmm. the aspects of, you know, the, this idea of, a, of being a, maybe a hallucinogenic or just something to change your physical disposition was, was important to, you know, you had wine and we talked about, you know, mead and things like that. Mm-hmm. People, would, people would smoke things just to get a different kind of feel, I, I guess, to escape their current life of running away from, you know, barbarians or you know, marauding groups of people wanting to take over their land. Yeah. So it, it created a different feel. But mm-hmm. you're right. All this by accident? Yeah. This person had to decide, number one, A, to drink it themselves, mm-hmm. to figure out that they were going to soup. But then they had to get somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. They had to convince somebody else, um, you might want to try this too. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine imagine being that, that guy, that, that friend of that guy. Like, <laughs> you know, I, 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 drank, I drank this. Right. His name was Mikey. He'll try anything. He'll try anything. He'll try anything, guy. And, uh, you know, he felt the same thing. See, in Egyptian culture, uh, having something uh, like that obviously would have been what you and I would call a a god experience. Right. I'm sure. I mean, this is somebody that's never touched alcohol in their life. I mean, this thing was probably only maybe 2% at the most. Uh, but still, having never had a drop of alcohol and you're a, a fully grown Egyptian adult, which at that point time would have been, you know, around... Ten. Well, <laughs> around 18, 20-ish. Because right. um, they, they barely made it to, to, to 40 unless you were in royalty. Um, and having this different experience, it, it would have felt like uh, I just touched Ra. Like, Ra blessed me with this magical thing. And, uh, you know, eventually started cultivating it and figuring out what went quote-unquote right or in this case wrong because most modern brewers don't do wild fermentation unless they unless they want to um they he found this magical thing and it turned out to be beer so talk about your magical thing yes your cream well the cream ale not your magical thing oh well yes i will definitely (laughs) talk about my thing the beer the american street cream ale is uh an ode to my past okay uh, I come from Jersey, and uh, the, the section of Jersey that I come from is called South Jersey, the real one. And uh, in, where I grew up, I grew up on a small farm uh, in my summer months. I spent at my grandpa's farm tilling, doing random things. But we grew up on the typical South Jersey stuff, corn and tomatoes. That's Half of my diet. That's right what there. Jersey people do. That's corn what and tomatoes. South Jersey people eat. That's what that's what we ate. Right. Um, so I I love the taste of uh, corn, and uh, you know I I wanted to do something uh, that was about me uh, for this beer, and uh, I actually love the challenges that a cream ale brings to a brewer. Uh, making a cream ale 
that has a lot of taste uh, with very minimal uh, amount of ingredients that one can select from, considering the style, uh, is, is, it's very challenging. Uh, so we went through this uh, recipe about three or four times here, and uh, we've, we're just starting to kind of get the right level of percentages of, of uh, actually barley versus corn, and maybe we should do a little bit more hops, a little less hops, and uh, eventually on time number four, we finally got to this recipe here. And when it came, when it came out of the taps the first time, we knew we knew we had something special. So, is there is it also based on corn selection, barley selection? Does that have any influence on it as well? Or yeah, in, in, a, in a cream ale, you you BJCP rules are, are are different if you're trying to match a style versus when you're trying to ma- make a good beer. Um, but obviously, anything that's a cream ale should have at least 25% some type of corn in it, some type of maize product. Um, so for us, it was about selecting the ingredients that we already had and we could already get a hold of. Because uh, I had already brewed this uh, you know, at home several times, so I had a sense of the recipe and what I, and what I wanted to bring here. Um, so it was just all about trying it on our equipment. And then perfecting it because for me it's all about the process. For me, it's you're very. I, I love the, the way you, you are very technically driven. Yeah, it's it's either wrong or it's right. Yes, right. I get that from talking to you. <laughs> yes, right. And and yeah. it's something you're also going to be proud of to mm-hmm. say. You know, I dialed it in. This is exactly. You know, I can remember, and this this takes you back mm-hmm. to to being in South Jersey to your grandfather's mm-hmm. farm to to yeah. just. I think there's a connection, yeah. and you pay homage. I, I think there's a, a level of homage that you pay to your family mm-hmm. in this beer, right? Yeah, it's very, it's very important for me. Everything that I, everything that I do, uh, when uh, I put something out in the world, I, I want it to be from my heart. I want it to be from me, and I want people to experience that. So when I have people drink the beer and they try it and they go, "Wow, this is this is so good. It's so different, but it's so." And they, you know, they start expressing it themselves. Like that, that fills my heart because all I'm doing is, is you're accepting this, and this is part of me, and it and it feels really uh, fulfilling. This is delicious, Thank and you. you know, a lot of what comes through, you get a lot of sweetness yes. at first, um, but you you do get a little dryness at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the middle, you're getting some of that. That, that hoppy note to it, mm-hmm. the, the, but it just, it, everything lingers in a nice harmony. Mm-hmm. You don't get something to use your punch buggy, you know, idea. Nothing's punching yeah, you. it doesn't punch you back and forth. No, but no. this is, it's, it's a really nice, like, this is something where, you know, we're all sitting around just talking beer right now. Mm-hmm. We could probably go through three or four of these yes. very quickly, very smoothly. That was the whole reason why when I brought it, the other guys were all about it, because we wanted to have an easy drink. We wanted to have some, but an easy drinker with flavor. Oh drinks. yeah, an easy drinker with character. Oh yeah, and that's what this brings. Yeah, with, with a sense of with a sense of hi, I'm actually enjoying this experience. Not just I'm just gonna pound it back because I can, but something that you can start off with. It's a great starter, especially for uh, people that come in and like you know they they're not fully versed in the brewing experience yet. It's like, okay, just start with the cream ale. Just start yeah, with something nice and light. This gives, this gives you a beginning, a, bit, a nice little good beginner's beer, but it's also for those that are 
you know, eclectic and experts, they can really fine-tune into the depths and complexity that is a nice, beautiful cream ale. What comes to mind for me right now, I mean, we're here in your brewery. You've got this. I mean, this is a Sunday right now. And you're packed outside. Mm-hmm. You've got it's a beautiful sunshine. You got all these picnic tables and tables going on. People enjoying your beer. Where where we are here, and I don't know the full history of. I mean, this is an area where it was wall to wall breweries back in fifties, 60s, 70s before the area kind of turned down. I mean, you had Schmidt's not too far from here, right up the street. Right, right up the street. Now, what I get is all, all of the, I get this feeling like this is something in a way that would have come out of this area. You know, this is just something that the the, the, the guys that were working in the mills and the factories and the, the ladies that were, you know, here raising their families and doing... But this is this is the beer that, you know, you'd go down to the corner bar and have on tap. Yeah. yeah. I just get a sense of that, that this is brewed here, not just to pay homage to you and your family and your experience, I think it pays homage to this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. And I don't know how many cream ales were coming out of the area. I, I just, but I get a sense that this is, would have been something very close to what was being done. Right. Mm-hmm. Cream ale is more of like, uh, it's definitely gained some more popularity. Yeah. Uh, as of recently. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it still is, but it's all IPA all the time. Um, but you know, cream ale, cream ale is definitely making some sort of a comeback. Um, well, I think yeah, that I think that when we talk when we talk about IPAs, we've had this conversation. That's been the wave, right? And you, you know, when you talk about being an artist, you, you do what you you do what you understand, you do what you know. But every once in a while, you get an influence, or you want to start to dabble a little bit on something else, and and bring to the marketplace or bring to those beer drinkers something a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I know you like your hazy. I know you like your you know the the bold, lots of hops and stuff like that. But maybe you want to just kind of go off a little bit and try something. Yeah. And then this becomes lifted. And now what do you do with this? Yeah. Yeah, one of the other local breweries that I thought does a great great job with the cream ale um, that kind of um, comes to mind is the Chamonix Creek. So they're, you know, just up in Ben Salem, and uh, they, do, they do a great cream ale. Um, and, I mean, um, ours is, I mean, to me anyway, ours is uh, it's slightly different to where you get a little bit more of that hop, and um, the the ABV is just slightly higher. But um, you know, it's um, a beer drinker's cream. It is, yeah. <laughs> I like look, yeah. But you bring that you bring that perspective, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That if you're if you're looking for the hops, you're not going to lose it here. Yeah. But it's also not going to be like a steamroll of hops. Yeah. You're just going to get it enough. To really balance out, and this is why I'm saying you can drink this all day yeah, without yeah. feeling like your taste buds are just blown apart yeah. after a while. Because that, that that happens. Yeah, and then if you drink something else, you'll still be able to taste it. Right. Most of the time, when you're drinking these double, triple IPAs with you know the IBUs 90 plus, uh, yeah, you can have something else after that, uh, and you'll you'll taste it. But it won't taste the same if you come back and that's the first beer you drink next time you're at that brewery. Because once you have that numbness... You know, James, you bring up a great point, and that shouldn't be overlooked. And even educating me and Dawn and what we do, you know, we'll go to some places, and maybe we don't like the beer, or maybe we won't like what they're making, but we have to remember, it's also the way we've, you know, the the lineup and the way maybe we've had it, or 
really what we had an hour ago mm-hmm. or what we've eaten. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's hard. We want everything. It's like we want everything to be perfect as a consumer. Yeah. And, and you as a brewer, you want everything to be perfect. But everybody has different palates. Mm-hmm. And you never know what they ate just before they, they came in here or what they had or, you know, they're, they're, they're all stuffed up. Their nose doesn't work or they've been just wearing this mask all day. And Did you come from the distillery across the street? Not yet. <laughs> no, but this is, this is awesome. This is a great cream ale and I appreciate all the time you took and, and, and produced it. What are we going to drink next? What's next? Uh, we can start with the Saison. Okay. Or move on to the Saison. Move on to the Saison. Yeah, so it's our uh, Rustic Road Saison, and we've been working on this one for a little while. That's good. And, um, yeah, so we had hired uh, a guy from the neighborhood who started on this recipe, and we evolved it over time. But Christian. Uh, Christian, yeah. Who was, uh, he was brewing a little while for uh, Philadelphia Brewing Company. So... Um, yeah, he was, he uh, was he was our first first hire, brewer. first brewer. Yeah, yeah. and then James, James came in and filled the shoes. shoes. And, and this is on the books. You didn't just pay you didn't just pay him in beer. You actually right. uh, no, street. Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. brew beer. We'll give you Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when Bitcoin was a dollar, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a free four pack. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, this beer really relies on the yeast. Um, we use a Bel Saison yeast, and I mean, it's, uh, you can really taste it. It's, it's uh, slightly different than a traditional farmhouse uh, Saison, um, but I feel like there wasn't a lot, there's not a, a ton of Saisons out there right now, and a lot of our customers say that when they come in, like, um, they're looking for, they're looking for Saisons, Original 13 right up the street, the cidery, they, they can't find a lot of Saisons on the market right now, so they come to us and, and and purchase our saison and always, uh, you know, keep it a tap full. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, definitely a different beer. You get almost kind of like a, a bubblegummy kind of t- uh, after aftertaste there. Yeah, I mean, that's what I talk about. I mean, you know, James, you hit on what you were looking for and what you wanted to see in the cream ale. This is what you get to do. You know, you have an idea. I love the influence about what you're telling me I should have in here. Yeah. But you do get this essence of bubble gum at the yeah. end. There's Bubbles a sweet coriander. Yeah. You get some of that flavor yeah. in there too. Yeah. Yeah. So why is it, you know, is it just filling a need or was there an idea that you came together and say, really like to try doing a Saison? Um, I mean, I think we all kind of have passions for beers that we actually like too. Um, so we have four brewers amongst us and, and one of them's not here, Matt Rowland. Um, he's uh, he's having the IPAs right now and the sours, um, so he does our pushing up pedals. But um, yeah, I mean, I just enjoy saisons. I love saisons, and uh, you know, just just been tweaking the recipe for a long time. Uh, and, you know, until we landed on this. Um, it was also it's we so we brew by committee, right? As right. Past, yeah, so John brewed with me also, and we all kind of have a different idea of what do I want to make, what do I want to drink um, that I made. And I think at the time that we first brewed this Rustic Road Saison, um, Christian was like the, uh, he was the one who kind of drove that beer. That was a beer that he loved, um, went from his own brewing experiences. And then he said, I can make a really good one of these and we can put it on draft here. And we said, yeah, all right, that's that, great. He loved having a lot of flexibility when he came here to a little one barrel. Right. Um, having the flexibility to, you know, to create and, and you know, 
if he messed up, it wasn't going to be that big of a deal. So, um, you know, he had a lot of a lot of hand and, and creati- creativity to be able to, uh, you know, get in there and, and add some extra things. The original one had some some hemp seed in it, and uh, I'm, we took that out since, but... Um, we got it, more local with the grain, too. We, right. We used Double Eagle Ball. Double Eagle Ball, yeah. Yeah, for... And, you know, that's a, you know, local company, they... Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Double Eagle, probably, right? Yep. Uh, Now, is that important for you right now? I mean, the progression. I I think we talked about this, Patrick, when we were kind of off a little bit, that you're really seeing the progression with what you are doing here at Punch Buggy and, and, and bringing in other people to help and influence what you're doing. But that's the next thing. I mean, sourcing your grains. I mean, I, when you talk about starting up, you had the brewing supply next door. Yeah. So you kind of had what they had, and you were able to use what they were using. Yeah. They, also had, they, they also had like these uh, influencers that worked there. They were really big about getting people involved who were homebrewers themselves that worked the front of the house over there. And I think that they also, you know, threw in their two cents. One of the things about brewing by committee is the intelligence of the many is always going to be smarter than the intelligence of the one or the few. Right. You know, so I think that when we talk about Christian, we talk about James, what what he's brought to us, it's stuff that maybe we didn't, you know, as owners think about prior to bringing these guys on who they've had all of their own experiences with brewing and it's led to a lot of different pathways that you know maybe we've took and said you know these are the beers that we can put up now because we have all this collective intelligence this you know wealth of experience between myself Patrick James Christian Matt we all have a hand in what you can taste at Punch Buggy every weekend I think it's really fascinating listening to the three of you right now and, and what you talk about with some of the other brewers and people that you're collaborating with and bringing on. Everybody doesn't seem to have an, a large ego about what you're doing. You have more of an ego about wanting to put out the best beer possible to when people come in, they know, wow, this is great beer. And that's where you feed your egos from, yeah. not, hey, that's my beer. Yeah, I don't hear that from you. And that's... Um I mean, you know, with the new equipment and everything and uh, developing the recipes with the one barrel system, I think that's where we are now. Like, um, we're still we're still learning a lot about this system and trying to constantly make tweaks and upgrades. And like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, one of the beauties of the old system, like you said, the one barrel, we had um, just so much time to brew and we were brewing, you know, at times two or three times a week during our first year when we were really cranking before you know COVID where we were just like what are we going to brew this week we got to brew something different people want something different if you go on Untapped now and look at our you know Punch Buggy Brewing there are so many different beers that we brewed over the span of a year and a half that you can just look down and see oh, you, you guys brewed a uh, you know you guys brewed this uh, what like um uh, we brewed a bunch of kettle sours. We brewed, yeah, you know, a bunch of different, yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of different, uh, you know, different style stouts. And we actually um, also came up with this like battle beers concept, where it was like we both were going to brew similar beers and then have people vote on which one we like better. So. I like that. That sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. And then the winner of that would brew a full batch. So we. Uh, Except now you've got larger systems, right. so you're not you just. Really gonna do that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. 
but then it was it was a cool idea. That, that sounds like fun too. I mean, it, it really gets. It's not. It's not the competition side of I'm better than you. It's the competition side that you each make each other better. Yeah. yeah. And and who gets the benefit? It's the people that are drinking the beer. Right. I will tell you that you know one of the things that's enjoying enjoyable for this is as we're kind of sipping through this, as you know, the spicy notes seem to come out a little bit more right. on yeah. this, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, I like those yeah the spicy notes in there. Um, where I mean saisons could go. You know, two different ways, and then you know you can you can get more. So you know, Matt's working on a recipe for another one that's going to be, um, you know, more on the, like the fruitier side, uh, you know, farm house style saison. So uh, that's coming down the pipe too. But um, you know, this one, like you were saying, kind of I want to keep those um, you know spicy like bubblegummy uh, type coriander flavors in there. Um, I think they work really well on this style. But, Saisons can kind of be all over the map. What's the next one we have? This is the stout flavored stout. The stout flavored stout. Yes. Okay. So if you didn't have enough stout, now you want to add more stout. That's right. <laughs> okay. So uh, the way we came up with this one, we wanted something that was, uh, you know, kind of went with the scene a little bit. This being, uh, you know, March, you have St. Patrick's Day, and, um, you know, people want to drink something akin to like a penis. Um, so. Just like along the lines of like just your typical dry stout, but I do feel like we wanted something that had a little bit more sweetness than like you know per se Guinness. So how did you add the sweetness? What was the what was the recipe there to do that? Um, I mean, it was grain base. Yeah, it was the, the grain base had a little bit more. Um, I'd say like a little bit more, just like maybe American two row. Uh, a, little, a little bit more American two-row, a little bit more, uh, you know, in terms of how we fermented it, we fermented it, you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a complex bain, uh, grace bain. Grain base. Yeah, grain base. Yeah. But, um, Are you guys closing out? I'm sorry. But, uh, okay. And then we, we put it on nitro now, too. So we. Uh, now, what does the nitro do? And, and for brewers, how do you sense the difference between the general carbonation, I guess regular carbonation, and bringing in nitro? So this is a combination. Uh, we do a 75-25 split, but uh, James is good at explaining this. James, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. So the, the one of the main reasons you want to put a beer on nitro is the difference between a regular carbonized beer and a nitrogen beer is the, actually the size of the bubbles. That are that are in that are in the side. So once you have the uh, the the CO two and the nitrogen actually absorbs into the liquid when it's released out of the keg, the the bubbles are actually about a tenth of a size. So when you get that nice beautiful cascade, whenever you've seen you know nitro poured out of tap, that that's what's happening is the nitrogen is actually releasing and it's releasing the CO two in a way that makes the bubbles smaller and it adds such a different complexity to the body, the nose, the mouthfeel, everything to the beer. So. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's uh, it's a creaminess to it. Yes. Right? Yes. That, that, that seems to be, when I'm ex when ex people explain it to me, mm -hmm. that seems to be the, 
the, the general essence of what yes. somebody yeah. says. Yeah, so what, what happens is, you know, as you put the beer into your mouth, because the bubbles are smaller, it, it literally allows it to coat your tongue right. deeper and get deeper in into your tongue. So it feels silkier, it feels smoother on your tongue, and you get to experience the little different um, effervescence that you wouldn't if it had just been normally carbonized. Um, so it's it's it, it, it you really want to put a beer on nitro that uh, can handle that type of experience and it can be anything from like a big IPA IPAs have been on, on nitro to you know a, a stout like that but you, have, but you have to be careful on on your on your selection uh, we always try to feature beers on nitro here that um, are a completely different experience than it would be if you just drank it, you know, naturally carbonized. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm loving the flavor here, and like you're right, it, it's it's a nice stout, and then you get a stout on stout. I mean, it's like it, there's like two waves that this kind of hits you, which is really nice. Yeah, I think nitrogen's kind of like on demand. One of the things we talked about, the stout's incredible, and we just really enjoyed that. But you brought out, all right, so all the time we were talking about IPA. <laughs> and yeah. and we're going to we enjoy one of your IPAs. That's right, yeah. So talk about the IPA we're going to have. So we, uh, I mean, we've just been working on, you know, we've been working on our process for the IPA. I'd say the longest out of any beer. Just, um, you know, I mean, there's a million things you can do with, with IPAs. Like, but... Uh, Timing, like when when the hops are going into the tank, when they're coming out, when we're cold crashing, how many cold crashes? Like, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we can go on and on, but percentage of oats, percentage of wheat. Yeah, so we've been working on all of those things over and over again. Um, now, is this your number one seller? It is by far. I mean, it sells three to one probably. When, when you else. say, is it our number one seller? Um, everyone's a different version, but the style is definitely our number one seller. Yeah. So, like, this beer that you're drinking right now um, is brand new. Like, it's it's been on the taps for about a week. Um, and we've, we never called a beer Cirrus Citra before last weekend. So we're always coming up with, you know, slightly different takes. This is a slightly different variation from the other IPAs that you've been doing. Yes. And, um, yeah. In that, in like, almost every single one, a lot of times, are, are different. There's, there's some that we were like, let's do these really big. Let's make a lot of kegs of these certain ones, but then we have these little ones that are offshoots, and depending on what weekend you show up, you might be able to grab one or not, depending on, you know, just kind of... How quickly it goes out the door. I'm curious, I mean, for this one, I mean, you talk about, you're you're doing different variations, but, and and who brewed this one? Matt. Matt Matt brewed this one. But what was your reaction? I mean, what what do you, when this finally comes out, what's your reaction to this? Um, usually I sip it uh, and then I smile. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say, This is good. And that's usually what you do? Yeah. And, and then he gets mad at me because he says, You say that about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's, he is, Matt is a bit of a mad scientist when it comes to the IPAs. Yeah. Really tinkers a lot. And then. You know, we are gifted with the final product. It doesn't matter how good it com- is when it comes out. He's always like, you know what, I, I think I can do it a little bit better. And then he always has okay. something that he wants to change up a little bit about yeah, it. But he tweaks it and then yeah. it's a different name. I, I feel like you get a lot of um, tangerine, piney notes on that that really come through. Um, there's a dryness to it. 
but then you you get the um, the herb, herbaceousness that kind of lingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. This one definitely has like uh, a lot of like citrusy, juicy notes. Yeah, it really does come through. Yeah. And I think for us, for Dawn and I, I mean that that tends to be on the IPA side more what we gravitate towards. Like we we want the juicy to that. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I know there are tons of IPAs that just you know yeah. hop you to death. Yeah, and that's okay because that's what some people are looking for. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been working on on our processes yeah to try to get that that vegetal matter out of there as quick as possible Wait, what matter get the vegetal the vegetal, vegetal like matter green, yeah, yeah. I think that's like a new thing you got the, the vegetal matter no. you got this, yeah. this machine in the back yeah. you got to extract I mean yeah you want to you want to take you want to take the oils yeah. from the hops you want to get that loopling out of as quick as possible and we've been messing with the timing of that yep so much to where it's yeah, I mean, uh, I think Matt's got. No, I think Matt's got it down. He's he's going to continue to be the mad scientist and mess around with it, but um, just you know, pulling that Lufalin Lufalin off of there and and you know, getting that like I said, vegetable matter out of there as quick as possible. Um, and that's really what's bringing across that juiciness that you're not you know, Here's what you're trying. A lot of it's a little bit more creamy. You know what I mean? Like certain versions again, it tastes more like you know OJ. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're big on that cruise ship. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I I swear the one time we, we made the cruise control and I said I'm getting about sixty percent cream soda. Yeah, like it, we didn't it was let almost it like down, drinking yeah. a cream like. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, but this is the stuff you get to do. This is stuff you get to play with and, and see what's going to come out and see what's going to stay. And like, I, I don't want to harp on it. Yeah, but this uh, hopefully you know with we're we're. Like two weeks away from, you'll be able to have seventy five percent in your building, and look at all the people showing up to drink your beer. From from like just doing a, a beer festivals, from from going to beer activities, from home brewing, to what you're doing today, to where you've you've, you've become this destination for the Philadelphia craft beer scene, where people want to try what you're making because you're making high quality, really amazing beer. And that's got to give you guys a good feeling. It does. It's absolutely. It sure does. So, so, what is the future for Punch Buggy? What, what, where do you guys see the next couple of years, maybe next week? Where do you guys see yourself next week? <laughs> <laughs> next week's still here. Yeah, okay, good. Doors open. <laughs> good. Yeah, no, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot going on in the neighborhood right now. Uh, you know, uh, in the next year, it's hard to tell, but by the end of summer, we should have a better picture of what's actually going to happen because there's you know there's, there's some building commercial right. space going on next door there's uh our studios that are going on right across the street so i mean you know uh s cafe just opened up right next to us so there's going to be a lot more foot traffic going on it sounds like you're only going to be busier yes with more opportunity hoping so yeah. <laughs> i great. think the eventual idea is to make a beer theme park somewhere no, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's back, not real. Bring back, yeah, Bush Garden. Punch Bush Garden. All right, I love it. I love it. And we'll, we'll have people running around in costumes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I love that. But but look, I mean, you think about it. I mean, maybe in another location or, you know, you're going to expand your equipment. I mean, that that's always the next step because we're watching you guys grow. It's like watching your children grow up. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we always talk about those things, but it's hard to, you know, Say exactly what's going to happen in the next three. What, all right, so when you guys are all when, when nobody's around, you're brewing. What do you what do you talk about as far as the growth? I mean, is it really punch buggy gardens? No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I threw this one idea out there, and I'm sure this probably won't happen. But 
my thinking was we could maybe do something where it's like brunch extended, like breakfast all day. Um, so like a second location where it's like a waffle house meets a brewery. I love it. Now some people who are other owners and they also have a say in the plan would probably look at me and say you're insane. Okay. You know, and we're not going to do that. So that's just a like a side dream of mine. It, until your punch buggy punch buggy waffle house opens and right. you say, hey, yeah. here it is. Yep. That was my dream. Chicken and waffles and then a delicious breakfast stout. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of different business models out there that we can go off of. Yeah. We, uh, we discussed them all and I honestly have no idea where this is going, so we'll see. <laughs> but it's going. Look, I, I have to tell you something. This has been great. I We've been looking forward to coming back and sitting down with you guys again, but this is, you know, I, I say this. This has exceeded our expectations. Um, I, I, I love your passion, your enthusiasm. I love the technical nature by which you guys bring to the bring to the home from from your home brewing experience to what you're doing now, um, but it's it's fun for us just just to see you know your experiences, your energy, and, and just you know different kinds of beers and just the idea that goes into them. So appreciate the time you took to sit down with us, and uh, look forward to doing the grand opening at the Punch Buggy Waffle House. Yes, and uh, we'll go out to the farm and we'll drink some more cream ale and uh, yeah, just all kinds of you know. More, more, more punch buggy, you know, swag coming yeah, out of here, right? Yeah, we got to get some of those t-shirts. Though. That's fine, <laughs> guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate. It. We thank we you. took up table space today when you really could have used it for your patrons. So yeah. thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll get them out there. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.